2: From the
1: mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from fresh water to salt
3: water. Yama, and welcome to NITV Radio. Coming up in your program uh, this Monday, the 31st of July, well, July the 30th, which was yesterday, marked 15 years since a landmark high court decision granted sea country legal rights to the Yolno people of the Northern Territory court decision, as you'll hear, centered around 40 Yirkara back paintings from the Saltwater collection, and this legal fight was just one small part of a much richer Indigenous history and relationship to the sea. Also on NITV Radio today, last week, more than 60 Indigenous men who served for Australia during the Korean War were identified by the Australian War Memorial, a move that marked 70 years after the Korean Armistice Agreement. In the program today, we also have a conversation with uh, Jingaloo, talking about uh, Dog Tag to be Human 2023, her artwork that's been shortlisted among the finalists for Australia's longest-running Indigenous Art Awards, the Nazis. All these stories and more coming to you after the latest news on NITV Radio. Bertrand Tungandame Ngaya, I am Bertrand Tungandame.
4: Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal
5: Embassy the native title legislation must be
4: amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry.
3: A call to action after public hearing into missing and murdered First Nations women and children. The Housing Australia Future Fund legislation to be reintroduced when Parliament resumes this week, and the First National Scorecard assessing deforestation across Australia released. The public hearing into missing and murdered First Nations women and children has finished with a list of Aboriginal women who have died in custody and a poignant reminder, say her name. Latoya Rule from the Jombana Institute for Indigenous Education and Research read out some of the names of Aboriginal women who have died in custody to the Senate inquiry in Sydney. They pointed out that a great number of those related to the people who have been killed while in custody used the hashtag #SayHerName as a call to action. Yesterday, July thirtieth, marked the fifteenth anniversary of a court, ca- a court case that gave sea rights to the Yolngu people, who live on the northeastern Arnhem land on the Northern Territory. The legal victory guaranteed Indigenous ownership of around eighty percent of the Northern Territory's coastline. The 2008 ruling ended a decade-long battle by the Yolngu people to have ownership of the intertidal zone around their lands. The move allowed traditional owners to make important decisions about fishing and commercial interests. Matt Paul, Manager of Indigenous Programs at the Australian National Maritime Museum, says the case was a significant extension of the land rights movement. He highlighted one historical precedent, The admission of traditional Indigenous artworks as legal
6: evidence that was um, a really significant case in lots of sort of ways. The um, 80 bark paintings that were made as part of the Saltwater Bark Painting Collection, the community see those as legal documents more so than paintings. They were presented to the High Court of Australia. And the High Court of Australia actually recognised through these paintings and their the patterns, the subject matter, that there was a deeper connection to that of the, which overruled terra nullius in a sense, or aqua as it is. <laughs>
3: Prime Minister Antony Albanese is set to reintroduce the Housing Australia Future Fund legislation to Parliament this week, of what is expected in the lower house by October. It is the second time the bill will be introduced to Parliament, having failed to pass the Senate in June. The coalition rolled out its support for the bill from the outset, leaving the government to negotiate with the Greens and Crossbench. Greens Housing Spokesperson, Max Chandler-Murther, told the ABC the proposed bill being reintroduced does not do enough to meet the need for social and affordable housing.
5: I think it's important to note that under Labor's current plan, the Housing Australia Future Fund, the housing crisis will get much, much worse for two reasons. One... Their proposed bill doesn't even meet the increase in need for social and affordable housing and it does nothing for renters for the one-third of this country who rents. I should note that they're reintroducing the bill unchanged.
3: Legislation for an increase to the job seeker payment is also expected to be introduced as Parliament resumes this week. Social Services Minister Amanda Richworth has already announced the unemployment benefit will be lifted by $40 a fortnight starting in September. But for these changes to come into effect, Labour's safety net bill has to pass during this sitting fortnight. Cassandra Goldie from the Australian Council for Social Service says welfare groups are disappointed by the level of the increase, as it's still well below what was recommended by the government's own Economic Inclusion Advisory Committee.
7: Every dollar's welcome, but this won't get us where we need to be. Job Seeker will still be a poverty payment um despite um this increase coming through in September.
3: Missing Persons Week has begun in an effort to raise awareness of long-term missing persons and shed light on the trauma experienced by those loved ones who are left behind. The feelings of hope and hopelessness felt by the loved ones of those missing is known as ambiguous loss and is considered to be one of the most traumatic types of grief and yet there are very few support services available. To bridge the gap, the MIST Foundation has now launched a free online masterclass to help police, social workers and families navigate the grief. Dr Sarah Wayland, an associate professor at the University of New England, has created and hosted the masterclass.
2: The challenge when someone is missing is that there's no possibility of sitting with or learning to accept that the loss has occurred. So that loss remains in that really uncertain, traumatic space for longer periods of time.
3: The first national scorecard assessing deforestation across Australia, Australian states and territories has been released. The scorecard issued by the World Wide Fund for Nature Australia assesses which states are leading the way in protecting and restoring trees and which states are lagging behind. New South Wales and Queensland have both been given the status of very poor on the scorecard, securing a position as Australia's worst clearers of trees. Dr Stuart Blanche is a conservation scientist with WWF Australia. He says the scorecard brings attention to the positive work being done by some states and territories, as well as the urgent need for improvement in some locations if Australia is to reach set targets.
5: It shows a bag of mixed results. No government gets good or let alone very good. And we have a couple at very poor. So we all have a long way to go, particularly if we're going to achieve the Australian government's commitment to halt and reverse forest loss and land degradation by 2030.
3: The federal government is reassuring Indonesian authorities that Australian animal exports are free from the deadly lumpy skin disease. Indonesia has posed exports from four Australian facilities pending further testing of animals after a small number of exported cattle were detected with the disease. But Federal Agriculture Minister Mary Watt says Australia remains free of the disease. The federal government has briefed state and territory ministers, met with Australia's ambassador to Indonesia and other departmental officers, and begun rapid diagnostic testing of cattle across northern Australia. An air-safety investigation team has arrived in Queensland to examine the crash of an Australian Army helicopter during exercise Talisman Sabah. There are grave fears for the lives of the crewmen who have now been identified as Captain Daniel Lyon, Lieutenant Maxwell Nugent, Warrant Officer Class Two Joseph Laycock and Corporal Alexander Naggs. They were on board the 1 helicopter when it crashed in water near Queensland's Lindemann Island on Friday. Minister for the Environment and Water, Tanya Plibersek, told Sky News while a thorough investigation into what went wrong will take place, the first priority is on finding those still missing.
7: Our first focus is on finding the four missing personnel and on supporting their families. Of course, the next very important question is what's gone wrong here? What's gone wrong mechanically? Uh, Of course... The investigation has to be thorough and it has to be complete. We need answers.
3: Australia has resumed its place in an international military training exercise following the army helicopter crash in Queensland, feared to have claimed the lives of its four crew members. Talisman Sabah exercise director Brigadier Damien Hill says he temporarily paused the exercises over the weekend to allow personnel to contact family in the wake of the crash, but drills have now recommenced in the Northern Territory and Western Australia. Meanwhile, Defense Minister Richard Miles and his United States counterpart Lloyd Austin have met with soldiers from the multiple countries participating in the war games. Speaking in Townsville, Defense Secretary Austin says the two weeks of integrated training speaks to the country's united vision for the region.
7: We will continue to stand by our our allies. This exercise helps us strengthen our unbreakable alliance and our vision for that free and open Indo-Pacific. I'm proud, really proud that we have 13 countries
3: participating in this year's exercise who share that common vision. At least 42 people have been killed and more than 130 injured in a bomb attack at a political rally in Pakistan's northwest. The blast took place at a gathering of the conservative Jamiat Ulema Islam Fazi Party, known for its links to hardline political Islam in the area of Bajor, which borders Afghanistan. A shooting in Michigan has wounded five people, including two who are in a critical condition. The Lansing Police Department says officers responded to reports of a shooting early Sunday morning. The five victims have been transported to a hospital by the Lansing Fire Department. Local police say several people were detained and officers found multiple firearms at the scene. And to sport Australian tennis warrior, Alexei Popirin has overcome severe leg cramping to outlast the Triple Grand Slam champion Stan Ravrinka in an epic clay court encounter to claim his second ATP Tour 250 title. Popirin Koppenrath rallied from a set down and had to draw on all reserves in the decider, the decider to defeat Wawrinka six seven six three six four in the Croatian Open final in Umag that stretched past two and a half hours. The 23-year-old struggled to move and was forced to go for a broke at every opportunity to shorten rallies in Sunday night's humid conditions. But the former French Open junior champion came up trumps to join an illustrious group of names, including newly crowned Wimbledon champion and world number one Carlos Alcaraz, on the tournament's honor roll. And now having a look at the weather around the country, Broome sunny 26, Perth partly cloudy 20, Adelaide possible showers 16, Melbourne partly cloudy 17, Hobart showers and windy 30 degrees, Albury-Wodonga mostly sunny. 12, Canberra cloud clearing 16 degrees, Wollongong sunny 22, Sydney also sunny 22, Newcastle similar conditions, Brisbane sunny 27, Townsville mostly sunny 26, Cairns a shower 227, Alice Springs partly cloudy 24, Darwin sunny 33, and the Twisted Islands a mostly cloudy day, the top of 29 degrees. And that is NITV radio news.
7: TV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or time online.
3: I am Patron Tungandame and you're listening to NITV Radio coming to you from Nam on the Kulin Nation this Monday afternoon. Now coming up next in your program, well last week more than 60 indigenous men who served for Australia during the Korean War were identified by the Australian War Memorial and this was to mark 70 years after the Korean Armistice Agreement. In the program today, we also have a conversation with uh, Chingalu, talking about a Dog Tag to be Human 2023, her artwork that's been shortlisted among the finalists for Australia's longest-running Indigenous Art Awards, the Nazis. But first, let's let's explore a landmark high court decision 15 years ago granting sea country legal rights to the Yonu people of the Northern Territory. This legal fight was just one small part of a much richer indigenous history and relationship to the sea. The 30th of July, which was just yesterday, marked the 15th anniversary of a court case that gave sea rights to the Yolno people. The win guaranteed Aboriginal people ownership of around 80% of the Northern Territory's coastline, a rolling that included precedence over any commercial interests or fishing, and a series of back paintings were at the center of the rolling. Piki Jacomelos reports.
1: It's been 15 years since a landmark High Court decision granted sea country legal rights to the Yolnu people of north-east Arnhem Land in the Northern Territory. The ruling, which gave traditional sea rights over coastal waters, set a precedent, with a series of bark paintings playing an important role in the High Court's recognition of the Yolnu's connection to the coastal waters. Matt Pole is the manager of Indigenous programs at the Australian National Maritime Museum which is also marking the anniversary. He says the 2008 sea rights case was probably one of the most significant extensions of the land rights movement in Australian history.
6: The recognition of the Yolngu people's territorial rights over their seas and coastlines of Blue Mud Bay um, is a recognition of the the pre-existing connection to country that has been ancestrally connected to the Yolngu people in that region. And it was um, a really significant case in lots of sort of ways. The um, 80 bark paintings that were made as part of the Saltwater Bark Painting Collection, the community see those as legal documents more so than paintings. They were presented to the High Court of Australia and the High Court of Australia actually recognised through these paintings and their the patterns, the subject matter, that there was a deeper connection to that of the, which overruled Terra in a sense, or Aquanullius as it mm-hmm.
1: is. The ruling ended a decade-long battle by the Yolngu to have ownership of the intertidal zone around their lands recognised. The ruling meant that around 80% of the Northern Territory's coastline was now under Aboriginal ownership, meaning that traditional owners could make important decisions about fishing and commercial interests. But it wasn't the first legal fight for native title to sea in the Northern Territory. The movement for sea rights dates back to the 1970s. This was when the Woodward Royal Commission into Aboriginal Land Rights noted that questions about land rights also extended out to sea. In his final report, released in 1973, Justice Woodward recommended that a buffer zone of up to two kilometres out to sea should be closed to non-Indigenous people to protect Aboriginal land. Marcus Barber is an environmental anthropologist in land and water at the CSIRO and has Helped map waterways for sea rights.
5: The history of the sea rights it goes back to the creation of the Land Rights Act in the seventies. That the Yolngu were integral in in um, in enforcing, I guess, or in stimulating in uh, non-indigenous society the creation of that act to recognise their rights. At the time, there was discussion about the fact that Yolngu understandings of their country go into the sea. Um, And there was a very limited form of that that was able to be uh, recognised in the Land Rights Act but it was insufficient for a whole range of reasons.
1: Integral to the 2008 ruling were 80 bark paintings by 40 artists. The Maritime Museum's Matt Pohl explains the paintings were spread across 15 different clan groupings, which stretched all the way from Blue Mud Bay to Yirikala and across to Arnhem Bay. He says the paintings are a living ancestral connection, highlighting the importance of the sea in people's lives.
6: Not surprisingly, ancestral stories of creation depicted in a lot of these paintings, but there's also people's personal totemic affiliations to many of those scene life as well and many of the responsibilities that people have. I mean, the first paintings are connected to the the origin of the whole story of the bark paintings. There was a legal fisherman who for several hundred years had been... um, you know, desecrating these waters. What sparked the case was the desecration of Baru, the ancestral crocodile, and uh, one of the Meriwili family members who found the, um, the crocodile, which had been desecrated. It just sparked this um, this conversation, which led all the way up to the High Court case.
1: Matt Pohl says the artworks have acted as a type of template, a chain of stories that have been used for self-expression and as a protest document. Jumbawa Marawili is an Aboriginal artist whose work has played an essential part in the recognition of sea rights.
5: Arts painting, it's, it is a document. That, from what I say, it was document from our ancestral beings. To our grandfather, to our father, and to us. This is the story about our sea.
1: The first legal fight for native title to sea country also occurred in the Northern Territory with the people of Croker Island having native title recognised to the seas surrounding their island in 2001. There have now been a number of successful native title claims to sea country. James Holman is a director of the Joglupanyu Aboriginal Corporation which is also involved in marking the anniversary of the 2008 ruling this week in the community of Bunayala. He hopes the anniversary will raise more awareness about sea rights.
5: And I think it's important to understand that country means land and sea. Uh, waters flow through the land into the sea, back into the clouds, back into the land and that cycle doesn't end and it's something that is a part of all the decision making, planning, the vision and the story of what is happening
1: the bark paintings have been on display at the Australian National Maritime Museum in Sydney on and off for a number of years. Matt Pohl says they are extraordinary in their detail, using artistic production to tell complex stories.
6: When the artists talk about patterns coming from the land or from song that comes from the sound of water or even dance moves that comes from the wind blowing through the trees, there's this way that the land and the sea speaks through artistic production and in many ways that's why these paintings sort of write themselves in the sense the living people who they're connected to are just custodians of temporary parts of that story which is passed on intergenerationally through you know families since time began and till until the end.
1: Peggy Jack Melos, SBS News.
7: Visit sbs.com.au slash nitv radio.
3: More than 60 First Nations troops who served in the Korean War have been officially recognised, coinciding with the anniversary of the end to fighting in the conflict. Experts say it's a major step to honouring the sacrifices of First Nations veterans and recording their contributions. Keira Haynes has this report.
2: On the 27th of July 1953, the Korean War ended. At least 60 First Nations soldiers are known to have served in the military during the conflict and they're now being officially recognised by the Australian War Memorial some 70 years later. Garth O'Connell is the memorial's military curator.
0: The issue of their aboriginality of the servicemen in the 1950s is is very clear cut. It wasn't discussed, it wasn't needed, it wasn't asked for by the defence department. Uh, who, uh, who were part of the enlistment process. It wasn't until the mid-1990s that they, that, like Defence, even started to ask that question, which many people now recognise in any paperwork from the federal government, just tick the box, are you Aboriginal and or Torres Strait Islander?
2: 65 Indigenous men's names will be published as part of the memorial's ongoing research to recognise all Indigenous servicemen and women. Garth O'Connell has worked alongside First Nations historian Michael Bell to unearth their identities and stories. He says each story paints a vivid and often harrowing picture of what life was like for an Indigenous soldier before, during and after the war.
0: Ironically, military service for Aboriginal servicemen was a more level playing field socially for them during the conflicts. After they returned from these conflicts, that was when they then re-experienced are forms of cultural of like biases against their Aboriginality and so that's why these men um, often just served as what we call a green skin army regardless of whether you're Asian Australian, Aboriginal, white, whatever, in the service pretty much that issue of their ethnicity or their background didn't mean anything so for these men it was, um, it, was it was not really an issue, it was only after they returned to Australia
2: Mr O'Connell says the research into the Indigenous veterans has been a collaboration with the soldiers' families, part of a painstaking process to confirm who they are.
0: We have identified these men um, over the years through a combination of factors. Um, It can come from non-Indigenous servicemen who served alongside said Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander servicemen, but the most common one is from families or from the veterans themselves. And then they've given us their service details, we've looked it up, and then we've confirmed with local um, land councils and communities to confirm if said person is, and yep, it's all been confirmed.
2: Captain Reginald Saunders is one of the veterans being recognised by the Australian War Memorial. The captain was the first Indigenous soldier to reach the rank of officer in the Australian Army in 1945. Daughter Glenda Humes says he would have been so proud that other First Nations men he served alongside are now being recognised.
8: We've had so many Aboriginal men and women serve in um, nearly every conflict that this country has had, but they get very little recognition. You might get recognition on the battlefield, but that recognition off the battlefield is very, very rare. I mean, when my father come back from both the Second World War and Korea, there were just menial jobs around the country available for him. It wasn't until the 67 referendum again that he got a job with the Commonwealth Government working specifically for
2: our mob. More and more First Nations families are now contacting the war memorial about relatives who fought overseas. Ms. Hume says their coming forward helps to paint a clear picture of Indigenous service and sacrifice during times of war.
8: When you know how... Um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people served this country during war, I'm not surprised. I'm surprised that there's probably um, not a few more that may come out of the uh, woodwork. And I would certainly encourage family members, if they know that their uncle or uh, grandfather or uh, cousin served, let let us know. Let the, um, the memorial know about that because I think it's important that we record
2: their service. Kira Hain, SBS News.
7: Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio.
3: We must now go to a break, but stay with us, because when we come back, we have a yarn with one of the finalists in Australia's longest-running Indigenous Art Awards. Stay tuned.
7: Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio.
3: Time to talk about uh, the NATIAS, uh, the National Bridge Torres Strait Islander Art Awards, the longest running and most prestigious indigenous art awards. I'm glad to say one of the panelists uh, in these years' awards, Jingaloo, is joining us on NITV Radio to talk about her entry in uh, the awards, "Doctor Tag to Be Human. Welcome to NITV Radio, Jingalu. Okay, thank
4: you for having me.
3: Dog tag to be human. This is a title that can be for someone who hasn't uh, uh, seen the artwork or heard about your work. This is a dog tag to be human, challenging and confronting a bit.
4: Just a, basically a look back into our history. Um, it was a, called a, an exemption certificate, but uh, you know, it was known as a dog tag or uh, other things from
3: people it's based on your grandfather's history when uh, actually in australia mm-hmm. for first nations people indigenous people to be able to move freely in the country they had to fulfill some requirements including wearing this tag that uh, gave them the possibility to be able to move around uh, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah this is uh, this is why i said it's confronting and uh, disturbing a lot uh, living through this kind of reality
4: yeah, yeah, it was. It, I mean, you know, that's, but this is what what our history was, and a lot of people don't know about it. And it wasn't that long ago this was going on? And I mean, it wasn't to actually get one of these exemptions, you had to um, forget about your culture, and your language, and your family, your kin, everything you were about. Like I said, you had to have that ticket on you the whole time, and. And at any time, it could be taken off you, so... But it was basically just to have, yeah, freedoms to go places and go everywhere. Because basically, you, you, weren't a, you weren't a free person.
3: You weren't a human yeah. being. They're just treating you like... No. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, besides this being uh, your grandfather's story, which is quite confronting already in itself, what mm. prompted you to revisit uh, this reality in your artwork?
4: I don't think a lot of people understand why um why we are the way we are and the hurt that has happened and the hurt that's passed down and you know, I used to sit as a child and listen to my grandfather telling me stories and that, and I can hear the sadness and, and also the anger and I heard all of that and I just I'm lucky enough now to be able to speak about it and Tell the story, so I sort of would hope that he was proud of me for doing speaking the
3: truth to it, you know. Yeah, and this is something that, uh, myself, most Australians wouldn't know about this uh, reality because uh, this is part of uh, the national history that uh, is a uh, kind of swept under the carpet.
4: Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, it's just not talked talkable. It was a you know. It was a harsh part of our history, so it's not really talked about, but we have to acknowledge all of everything that sort of went on to move forward, you know. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, tell us how you bring uh, this uh, uh, sad uh, history, sad past of uh, your people and uh, this country into your artwork. Uh, describe to us the artwork you entered. Uh, what is it?
4: Um, well, it's a, I did a portrait of my grandfather and it's all, like, his documentation, the photo that... Because you have to have your little two photos, but you had to have your negative. And back then, you know, cameras weren't around everywhere, which sounds silly today, but it was hard to get your hand on a camera, you know. That had to be sent down and it's his photo from that and and just his exemption details. And so I've done a portrait of him, and at the back is, like, uh, our sort of, like, Indigenous artwork. Um, And then that's saying, like, the culture is behind it. And then I've got um, hands on it, which is, like, a white handprint, um, white colour, and it's just saying, you know, that we weren't allowed to hold our, you know, have our culture or anything like that so, or our family like we were as much as we were allowed to get this exemption and everything we still you know you you got, you, you got it to get free but you weren't really free <laughs> that yeah, kind of thing yeah, so yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah that's what the painting but yeah it's just basically showing um, people what and it wasn't too long ago you know that our people went through, and this is still in people's, you know, it's in their memories, it's in their, in their hearts, and you know, people still cry over
3: it. And, uh, looking at uh, the uh, photograph uh, that I saw of it, it looks like uh, white hands actually soiling uh, First Nations artwork.
4: Yeah, yeah, that's how it's like Yeah, keeping like keeping us, keeping us down. You know, you keeping, you had to give up. Give up your knowledge, give up everything. So uh, yeah, keeping us keeping us down, so. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. And how big is it?
4: No, it's just under a meet, sorry, ninety one centimeters by well, ninety one centimetres. Yeah,
3: and it's in a portrait format actually, which is just like a passport photo in another passport photograph format.
4: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. From way back in the in the forties. Um well yeah, like late, um, sorry, the late forties it was.
3: And how did you get hold of uh, your grandfather's photograph? You said it's very hard. Uh, these are archival and historic documents. Was it in uh, his possession, and he passed it on to you, or how did you get hold of it?
4: We actually had to sort of like go into the archives. So, because my mum and all of her sisters and my and my uncles are all um taking it when they were little, but there was my all my uncles were lucky because there was no room in the um, Sydney Boys Home, so they were sent back up. But the girls weren't so lucky, and yeah, and um, and one of my aunties was able to get all of the um Annie Wendy, so she's still she's still out there. But um, I just yeah, she went and got all of uh, our documentation because she was allowed to, you know, look for it all, and um, yeah, that's where it came from. So, but yeah, it's in the archives it's, They're
3: really hard to get Accessing the archives itself Is just like an an obstacle course It's not an easy thing mm-hmm.
4: No, no You've got to go to the place too So, you know, you've got to travel <laughs> for, so. yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah Now, yeah. before I let you go Any yes. final thoughts Or something we may have missed That you must absolutely bring to the attention of our listeners
4: to be a finalist in the 40th, it's an amazing. Like I never thought ever I'd get there. So like, it's to me, it's like the um, pinnacle of the art awards, you know, in Australia and stuff. So I, um, oh, it's a huge, it's a huge honour, you know, and man, um, yeah, I'm so just so grateful to. Be amongst it all, and so I'm looking forward to uh, seeing all the other artworks. And you
3: know. Jingaloo, congratulations for being a f- finalist, and uh, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us on NITV Radio today. It's been a, a really great pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
7: Your community, your conversation. NITV Radio.
3: For the break, you had a conversation with uh, Jingalu, who is just one of 63 finalists in this year's 2023 Telstra National Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Awards Art Awards. It's Australia's richest art awards, presented by the Museum and Art Gallery of the Northern Territory and uh, Telstra. Winners for this year's awards will be announced on uh, the 11th of August, 2023, at 6.30pm in Sydney. And the exhibition will formally open on the 12th of August at uh, the Museum and Gallery of the Northern Territory. In our upcoming programs, we'll bring you more conversations with uh, other finalists. We must now step aside for a short break. When we come back, Mitch Tambo presents his latest single, Yugal Yulugi.
7: NITV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online
3: Welcome back, now a couple of months ago Mitch Tambo released a new high energy single Yuga Yulugi I took the opportunity to catch up with him and as you'll hear the song Yuga Yulugi transcends language barriers and is highly empowering
5: Yuga Yulugi which means song dance and it's just all about coming together With your community, your loved ones, your village—if you like—being out under the open night sky and just letting go of all the weight of the world and just getting set free in celebration. But the posing question being, when the sun rises tomorrow, will you walk in that new freedom? Will you walk having let go of everything, or will you carry it all back into your future? And that's what it's really about. So um, I'm really blessed to have it out. Really pumped that Fox Footy took it on board for Indigenous Round and. um, that we got to perform it for the opening too up there in Suncorp Stadium and got to do half-time for Sydney Swans vs. Carlton. It's been an incredible release and just really blessed to have it out, to be honest, brother.
3: Yeah, Yugal Yulugi, can you tell us a little bit more about the choice of uh, this title? It's in your language, Camilla language, as usual. Uh, Yeah, tell us a little bit more about uh, your choice of uh, this title.
5: Yeah, so Yugal Yulugi means Song Dares and I think it just goes without saying, you know, the power in movement, the power in song. Um, the healing um, that comes within music and dance and that kind of movement. And um, also, you know, we all have a song um, that is a soundtrack of our life, or we've got many songs that, you know, take us back to certain memories and things. But this in particular is about the power in song and dance in terms of celebration and in terms of letting go and being set free.
3: Yeah, it's already you know, setting new records uh, with downloads and, uh, uh, you know, being streamed uh, all over the country. Were you expecting that it would be picked up for the Indigenous Round?
5: Oh, look, there's never any expectation. You always just put a song out and you're kind of hoping for the best, you know, and it's it's all about, I think, not getting caught up and doing what you think people might like and all about, you know, just creating and, and doing what got you to where you are in the first place. And, Sometimes that can be really hard, but, you know, the key is is just to try and create and have fun and put something out you really love and believe in and the hope that others will love it. You know, I think when you get caught up in trying to do something you think people will like is where you can kind of start to fall off what makes you unique, if that makes sense. And um, so, you know, with this song, we just did it. It's something that I just really loved and I really believed in and and just really put it out in the hope that um, people would feel the spirit of the track, I suppose, yeah.
3: Yeah, and he said that uh, this song, which is self-penned, you wrote it yourself and uh, produced it, it transcends language barriers.
5: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a song that um, is quite cinematic, it's semi. it's a really big sound, like if you've got a great sound system, I think you're going to love it because um, there's so much happening in the production, sort of really catchy you hook and, um, you know, easy, I think, for people to sing along to and that kind of thing, and... I think we've done it in a way where, you know, obviously knowing that people can't understand, but where it just feels really empowering, the music. Yeah. And I think I've been able to keep really integral to who I am as an artist in terms of the way that I'm singing it and the way that I'm I'm putting it out there. I wanted it to feel almost like my older stuff meets my new stuff, um, where you can feel that sort of authenticity and also feel where I've come from and where I'm
3: going, if that makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, I know you're very busy today with uh, interviews and uh, other commitments. Just a closing word for our listeners.
5: Yeah, look, I mean, anyone out there listening, I just really appreciate your support. I'm just really humbled by it, and I just thank you for taking on you know, something different and embracing it and making it a part of your catalogue and a part of your journey. And So anyone out there that's uh, on the fence about putting something out there or doing something, my advice is just do it. Dare to be you. There to be your beautifully unique self and um you know let's just keep creating a world where we don't have to sacrifice who we are and we can just be authentically ourselves and that can be celebrated and acknowledged and just embraced i think that would be such a beautiful thing and you know massive shout out to you brother because you've supported me from day one and i just want to thank you so much from the bottom of my heart because every release that i've ever put out you've always i um, supported it always gave me the platform to jump on your incredible show and have a chat with you about that, and I just want to thank you so much for, you know, being on my journey and supporting my music. It really means the world. And although I'm flat out today with other interviews, I just want you know to make a point of just really honouring your show and all.
3: And uh, that was a conversation uh, with uh, Mitch Tambo when he had uh, a couple of months ago when he released uh, his uh, latest uh, single "Yugal Yulugi. and uh, that's all we have on NITV Radio this Friday afternoon this Monday afternoon, actually, Monday, July 31st. um, NITV Radio will be back on Wednesday with uh, more stories from right across the country. Bertrand Tuning and Domingue are thanking you for your company this Monday afternoon. Till next time, bye for now. Yalu.